Good morning. Welcome to Green Tree Community Church. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. We're thankful to have you here this morning. We know how tough it is to be a dad. Much harder than being a mom. No question about I'm just kidding. Just playing around. They're going to start throwing rocks at me. Uh, we're glad to have all of you with us this morning. If you're seated in the inside rows here in the main section or over in the sides, if you wouldn't mind grabbing the attendance books and signing them and passing them down your row. Uh, we want to make sure we keep up with each other here at Green Tree. We want to make sure that uh, we answer questions of our visitors. So if you're visiting with us, uh, thanks for being here. There's a table out in, the, in our atrium where there'll be somebody after the service. If you have questions, you can stop by there. But if you would like to speak with somebody uh, in a particular ministry, as that book comes by, just let us know what your question may be, and we will be very happy to, uh, to try to get the right person in touch with you and answer your questions. But we're happy to have you here this morning at Green Tree. Uh, if you've been paying attention to your email this week and you're part of the Green Tree community, you know uh, we have an announcement this morning about our schedule for the fall. We have been kind of wrestling with how do we handle the growth that God has brought us? How do we create room to grow so that uh, as folks continue to come, we make space for them as well as take care of our family that's already here. Uh, so I want to kind of walk you through the decision that we've made and what that's going to look like starting on August the 20th of this year. So just a little background, when we moved into this building, we were averaging about 390 folks uh, in worship attendance on a Sunday morning. And now, as you can see, uh, we're up to uh, close to 650 on average between our two services. And so uh, the rooms are, are pretty full. Our Sunday school classrooms are filled and overflowing. And so we, uh, we can't just kind of say, well, isn't that nice? Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, people can kind of stand out in the lobby and watch on TV. We need to make room. God is growing his kingdom. Uh, we thought we would grow a little bit when we moved in. We didn't expect this kind of growth, uh, but this is all God's doing. And so we want to respond appropriately. We want to create room for more folks. So what we're going to do beginning this fall, and fall starts earlier these days. Fall used to start after Labor Day, but not anymore. So this is the first Sunday after school begins, August the 20th. We're going to go to a three-service format. We'll worship at 8 and at 9.30 and at 11. All three of those services will be the same. Uh, so it won't be like, you know, I wonder who's going to be singing or preaching or it will all kind of flow together each Sunday. Uh, and we will expand in a couple of areas. If you notice under that eight o'clock service, we're going to be offering a children's church. So the idea there is if you have grade school children and you're coming to the eight o'clock service, you bring them in the eight o'clock service for the first half. And then after the, the worship singing part is done, they'll be dismissed and they'll have a church experience of their own downstairs. The 9.30 service looks just like our 9 o'clock looks now. So 9.30, 9 is the, how do I say it? 9.30 is the new 9 o'clock. Would that be saying it the right way? So children's classes, adult classes, student ministry, high school classes, uh, and worship. That will all take place at 9.30. And then at 11 o'clock, we will have a similar offering, but because we think the numbers may be a little bit fewer uh, at that third service, what we may do is combine a couple of classes. So maybe first and second grade students are together, something like that. We'll figure that out when we get there, but it will be a uh, an education hour at 11 as well. So that's the schedule. That's where we're headed. And we're only going to tell you this about 500 times between now and August the 20th, because we know it takes a little while for all that to sink in. Why are we doing this? Not just because we've grown, but 
There's some, there's some ministry philosophy behind this that I think is important for us to understand. The first is that we want to make sure we have a safe uh, and productive environment for our children. And as I said, uh, during the nine o'clock hour right now, our Sunday school classrooms, especially during the school year, are very full. And so we want to make sure that we're taking care of our children well. So by offering uh, three different hours, we get a chance for folks to uh, get the same experience for their children, but not feel like they've got to come to just one particular service. Secondly, uh, not only for our children, but also we want to broaden our discipleship and learning opportunities for adults as well. So we're going to be offering uh, classes at 9.30 and at 11 for adults. And we really hope that you will give serious thought to taking advantage of those classes. Thirdly, we want to provide some flexibility within our schedule right now. If you want to have something for your children, you've got to be here uh, at, at 9 o'clock because we don't have the same offering 1045. Now we create a little bit of flexibility. So if you have out-of-town guests and you, you, know, you couldn't make it at, at the 930 service, you can still come at the 11 service and have something for your children. So we provide some flexibility. But we also, hold on to your hats, parents with younger children, we want you to come to two hours. We want you to bring your kids. We want you to have them in Sunday school. And then we want you to worship with them. We want them to watch you worship. We uh, feel that that would be uh, a wonderful uh, learning experience for your children to watch mom and dad worship and then uh, have Sunday school as well. And so that's one of the, the, the third reason. And the last reason, as we said, we have a lot of new folks coming and God is growing his kingdom. So who are we to say that we're not going to make room? So that's where we're going this fall. Uh, if you have questions this morning, you're like, I'm not sure about that or the schedule, that doesn't sound quite right to me. Or I just want to know how they arrived at these decisions. We have three different places you can go after the service to get some answers. So right out here, the, the foyer on the north side, there'll be an elder and a staff member there. The conference room, uh, which is right off the lobby, there'll be an elder and a staff member there. And then the hearth room, which is where our really cool fake fireplace is, uh, over to the left side as you're going through the atrium, there'll be a staff member and an elder there. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to stop by and just make sure your question is said in a nice tone of voice. It's the only rule. It can, it can be a hard question. It can be a tough question, but you got to say it in a, in a nice, respectful tone of voice. So... Praise God for the growth. Praise God that he's bringing people, and that he's allowing us to be part of his building his kingdom. And Lord willing, this will be uh, a good pattern for us as we begin the fall. I'm going to stop for a minute and just pray for that, and then we'll move on to our teaching time. Father, I thank you for the, the folks that worked so hard since the, the first of the year in studying this and looking at all the different options that were before us. Father, I thank you for the growth that you have brought. We take no credit for it. Um, we, we hoped that we would grow when we moved into this building, but you are the, the Lord over all of that, and you have done far more than we would have ever imagined. So we pray that we would be faithful to the people that, that now call Green Tree their home, that on Sunday mornings, our adults, our, our students, our children would have a place where they can come and worship, where they can come and learn about the glory uh, that is the grace and the mercy found in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray for our fall, even though we're just getting ready to enjoy some summer and maybe a little time off, we pray that you would continue to grow your kingdom and that uh, these plans that we have made would be in, in keeping with where your footsteps are leading us uh, so that more and more folks would hear about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All righty. If you have a Bible and you'd like to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We are on our very last Sunday. And the topic of the weightier matters of the law. 
And we're going to dive into Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 as kind of a summation of this 10-week series in just a moment or two. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. You can follow it uh, on the screen in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I don't think that the world is fundamentally better uh, place uh, having had these 10 sermons or nine now 10th sermon preached. I hope certainly at Green Tree that God is stirring in our hearts and is working in our minds uh, to help us think about the weightier matters of the law, but we certainly live in a very divided world, and the world is divided based on, on our sinfulness. It's based on the choices and the decisions that we make that can actually drive wedges between us and not bring us together. Certainly, when we think about economics, uh, there, there are, you could call them the haves and the have-nots, you could call them the rich and the poor, a lot of different names you can put toward it, but there are, are wedges that are, that are drawn relationally between us when we think about economics. Certainly, our country has a history of racial divisiveness. Uh, there's no question in this particular country, in this land, uh, that people have not been seen as equals. Some folks have been seen with privilege, while others uh, have been relegated to a second or third tier. And as you look at some of these images, it's, it's hard to imagine that, that not that long ago was a sign that you could find in, in, in pretty much any public building in our country. But there are also political uh, differences that uh, cause us to bicker and argue with one another. The latest shooting in the Capitol gives evidence to that. But there are, there are people that stand for freedom and long for uh, democracy or a republic, while others stand fast in a totalitarianism uh, regime. And then, quite frankly, just sometimes we're really mean-spirited with each other. Uh, you're going to see one more image on the screen, and it might actually make you chuckle a little bit when you, when you read it. But if you think about it, it really isn't all that funny if you're the survivor, right? If that actually happened to you, it really wouldn't, uh, probably wouldn't put a smile on your face. That's kind of the tone of the world in which we live. Should the church be any different? Are we any different because we claim to be followers and disciples of Jesus? Would the world say, you know what, those folks over there, those Christians, they really get along. I wonder what the secret is to their unity, to their love for one another, to their, to their passion for one another, to their serving one another and caring for one another, or do we look just the same as the world? That's what this sermon series has been about, and that's what we're going to wrestle with one more time in God's word this morning. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 23, which is our theme verse, and he said this, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You tie the mint and the dill and the cumin, the teeniest, tiniest spices on your spice rack. You make sure you give 10% of your spices away, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should, you ought to have done uh, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So that's the foundation for our series. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 11, Paul picks up on this same thing, this question of unity and divisiveness within the church. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the apostle Paul writes, and I'm in the wrong page. Let me turn the page. There it is. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision 
by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, there is much more disunity in the world than unity. There is much more uh, arguing than there is peacemaking. Uh, There are many relationships that have been broken and severed because of our sinfulness. And then we come to your word and we see the beauty of the unity of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see your calling upon our lives to be agents of that unity, to be people who are being transformed by the power of God and who have a new love for God that flows and spills over into our relationships with one another. And yet, Father, at times your, your people don't look much different than the world. We can, uh, we can be divisive ourselves within our own families, within our businesses, within your church. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would teach us. My opinions on this, my thoughts on this are just not very important. They're just one more person's thoughts. Father, we need your eternal truth to sink deeply into our hearts and our minds and to transform us into the image of our Lord Jesus. It is that for which we pray this morning. We ask that you would teach us to that end. Please forgive my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So here's our sermon in a sentence this morning. It's actually a, a sentence followed up by a question. Jesus makes no delineation between nationalities, race, economic standing when apportioning his grace. Do we? Right? Jesus makes no delineations, but do we maybe draw some lines that Jesus uh, himself would suggest ought not be there or actually tell us, quite frankly, that they ought not be here? I think between Matthew's uh, passage in in Matthew 23 and what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, I think it'll hopefully cause us to ask some good, honest questions this morning. Now, before we jump into this text, let me say that while clearly in, in our day and age we can see the divisions between humanity right up front and close and personal because you can look at it on your phone at 24-7. You can look at it on your laptop or your, or your smart pad, your touch pad. You hear about things that happen 
almost instantly, almost as while they're happening. And a lot of the news is about disunity. It's about division. It's about, about one person having hatred towards another or one people group despising another people group or one uh, group keeping who are in power, keeping people who are not in power oppressed. There's a lot of divisiveness in the world, but it's not a new thing. Paul's writing to a group of people who profess to be disciples of Jesus and fundamentally, the book of Ephesians, which we're going we're to study the book of Ephesians, uh, starting not this fall, but the next fall, we're going to begin studying the book of Ephesians. Paul's asking them, why aren't y'all getting along? <laughs> why, are, why are you fighting amongst one another? That's part of what the theme of Ephesians is all about. So while we struggle with it in our day and age, it's not, it's not a new issue. Their primary issue in their congregation happened to be between Jews and Gentiles. And, and the Jewish Christians really uh, didn't think very fondly of the Gentile Christians, and the Gentiles returned the favor. And so they tended to be at odds with one another on a very regular basis. So today, disunity may look a little different within the church of Jesus. It might not be between Jews and Gentiles in our culture, but it's just as damaging, it's just as harmful. And let me remind us before we jump into Ephesians what Jesus said about our relationship with one another. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, he said several very important things, this being one of them. A new commandment I give you, and he was talking to his disciples there that were gathered with him, and he's talking to his disciples who are gathered in this room together right at this moment. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. Not with a casual friendship, not with a, you know, if it's convenient, I'll be nice to you. But think about the love with which Jesus loved you. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It's more than you can even begin to imagine. I will never in this life get my mind around the depth and the breadth and the glory and the majesty of the love with which Jesus has loved me. And he calls me to love you in a similar fashion, right? Just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's the foundation that comes to us from the Lord Jesus himself. Paul picking up on this commandment broadens the conversation. It calls our attention to several things, three of which I want us to consider this morning. The first thing is that Paul says, I want you to remember back when. I want you to remember then, and he says it twice in verse 11, remember that, you know, therefore remember that at one time you guys were XXX, and we'll come to that in a minute. Verse 12, remember you were at that time, and he's going to give a list. Paul calls us to thoughtful reflection. This passage of scripture, I think, challenges us if we're willing to look at it honestly with the patterns of our lives, with the behavior of our lives, with the attitudes behind those behaviors and the thoughts behind the attitude. Paul says, I want you to dig in deep. I don't want you to look to the person on your right. I don't want you to look to the person on your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you. I want you to look at your life and remember some things that are very, very fundamental to the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. He says this, remember, before you met Christ, in verse 13, he gives a list. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Isn't that a delightful definition? 
Wouldn't you like to just take that and print it and say to people, you know, if they say, well, tell me about your past. You say, well, this is, this is who I, this is who I used to be. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, say, say, this is who I was at one time. I was separated. I was alienated. I was a stranger. I had no hope. I was without God. That's a very strong definition. And yet it points to the fact that we are far off, that we don't save ourselves that we don't work to earn our salvation, but rather we are completely separated. We are, we are aliens in a strange land when it comes to being in a relationship with Jesus on our own strength and because of our own worth. In the late 1990s, I was, Tom, I was trying to remember this today. Do you remember what year we went and visited Sherry in Russia? Was that like 97 or something like that? Am I close enough? So late 90s, mid 90s, Tom Warner and Scott Holly and I went and visited uh, a young woman from, our, from a, a church where we were formerly attending named Sherry Brock, who's actually her name now is Sherry Holshausen, and she's a member here at Green Tree. But she was working with children in Russia, and she had been there for several years and had been inviting us. So finally we said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to make this trip. So we fly over to Moscow. Now think about anything that, that a kid from St. Louis, Missouri, growing up taking U.S. history, thinks about flying into Moscow. This is after the wall had come down. This is after the collapse of the Soviet Union. But you're standing there in Red Square and you're looking at the Kremlin and you're, and you're just thinking, are the secret police watching me? I mean, it's so alien. You feel so isolated and so alone. And we, and we hung out at Moscow for the day. And then we got on a train and we traveled overnight 400 kilometers outside to the north of Moscow to a town called Cherpovets. I couldn't find Cherpovets on a map if I had to. And then we spent the week living in the homes of people that didn't speak English. And we didn't, I didn't speak any Russian at all. And at one point we went to a church service on a Sunday and the entire church, if you took this section right over here, Hal and all you guys over here, probably about four of you would have to leave. And that was the size of the congregation. And it was in this little town in the middle of nowhere. And I remember thinking, if the car doesn't start, we, nobody knows where we are. We are in big trouble. And so I got up and I, and I preached the sermon and I finished and I, and I sat down and then they looked over at Scott Holly and they said, your turn. And so Scott's like, he just preached. And I'm like, no, 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 you come, you come and preach. So while Scott's preaching, Tom Warner's going like this. I got to, I got to figure out, right? I'm preaching this. So we had three sermons, right? But we were in, a, we were aliens, we were strangers, right? We were separated from everything that we knew about life. And, and while it was a blessing and amazing experience, that was a very disconcerting feeling. It, it was somewhat fearful because you really truly felt alone. And Paul says this, you Gentile Christians, you need to remember something. Before Christ, you were alone. You were alienated. You were utterly lost and spiritually helpless before God. And according to verse 14, they, they weren't even wanted by the nation of Israel, right? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right? There's animosity between the two groups. You're not even wanted. You need to remember that. We say, Paul, why do we need to remember that? That's kind of depressing. I mean, haven't we kind of left that behind? Can't we just, can't we just focus on the joyful part? And Paul very wisely is saying to us, when you understand your previous desperation, you will appreciate much more deeply the current condition of your salvation. So not only does he say, remember them, but secondly, he says, remember now. And in verse 13, he says this, but now in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were defined as being people who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one. It's broken down in his flesh, a dividing wall of hostility. You have been brought near. You have been made one. You have been unified with all believers everywhere of every generation. You are now part of the body of Christ. And notice how that happens. Somebody brought you in. You didn't do it yourself. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. And you may have said, and I've said before, I put my faith in Christ. I trusted in Jesus for salvation. I kind of put myself at the front of that sentence. And while that's not wrong, I did make a cognitive decision to believe in Jesus. There was something much greater at work in my life before that ever happened. And that was Jesus bringing me to himself. That was the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the word of God, making me alive so that I could put my faith in Christ. But it's passive. It's what Christ has done for me. It's who I am today, but not because of an effort on my part, but rather because of what someone else did on my behalf. So it's Father's Day. Think about fathers. And my dad passed away several years ago, but I still think about my dad. And I think about some of the things that he passed on to me. Some good, some not so good. There's some great stuff my dad passed on to me, right? He taught me to be on time. He taught me that if you're there 15 minutes early, you're you're on time, right? If you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're 10 minutes early, you're late, right? Don't ever treat anybody's time as, as less important than your own time. Now, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I didn't get that, but I get that now. I understand that. I understand. My dad said, you say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You say yes, sir, and no, sir. You don't say yes or no, or yeah, or, huh, or what. You say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. That's part of who I am. I'm, I don't do that because I'm a good person. I do that because my dad drilled down into me and said, this is part of what makes you a man, right? So I received that. Then I think about the things that Cindy has had to tolerate over the 35 years of our marriage. And I think about the ways in which I've grown as a husband. And much of that growth is due to her. Much of that growth is because God put a woman in my life who loves me enough to tell me the truth. She likes me a whole lot. I think she really actually loves me. But that love compels her to tell me the truth, whatever the truth looks like. And I'm a recipient of it. I think about being the dad of our, of our three kids who are all grown now. And I think about what I learned by, by being a dad to those children. I didn't, I didn't earn any of that. All those things were a gift to me. And Paul says, you got to remember the condition in which you are now is a gift that God has given you through Christ. Notice he also says that in Christ, both the Jew and the Gentile are unified through God's redemptive plan. Verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, abolish the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. God has had it in his mind from eternity past to now, to bring mankind together through the cross of Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, black and white, Asian and African and European, all are coming to be part of the body of Christ with, yes, we have our distinctions and our cultural distinctions, but we're all unified in Christ. And this is God's redemptive plan. Redemption is unification with the Spirit of God through Christ and with one another. And notice that this is not a man-initiated peace plan, but this comes from God. Look at verse 17, right? 
It says this, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. Why? Because he knew that both groups needed salvation, that both groups needed grace. He knew that both groups were in trouble, and if he didn't redeem them, if he didn't save them through his gift on the cross, they would not be saved. So thinking about Father's Day, I'm thinking about my kids, and I'm remembering a time, and I've told this story before, but I remember a time when Nathan, our oldest, was about 16 years old, and we're standing in the backyard, and, and uh, Cindy's gone. It's just the two of us. I don't know where Jordan and Katie were. And we're hitting golf balls, and the house is behind us, and we're hitting the golf balls that night. We got about 30 yards in our backyard, so we're chipping some golf balls. Well, now there's like 50 golf balls out there, and I really don't feel like going and picking them up, all right? I'm just a little bit tired. So we walk out there, and I said, yeah, let's just chip them back towards the house, all right? If I, given, if I said to Nate, well, let me back up. We have these two French doors on the back of our house. And, and above the French doors, there's this pane of glass that's like this long and like that wide, okay? And we're a good 45 yards from that pane of glass. If I said to Nate, I'm gonna give you 100 golf balls and I'm gonna give you $1,000 if you break that glass, he'd have never done it. I could give him five, he would have never done it. But I said to him, hey, you see that bucket right in front of the basketball goal by the driveway? Yeah, I said, if you could chip that, you get one shot, if you chip that ball in that bucket, I'll give you a hundred bucks, right? So he, boy, he lines up and he thinks and swings and he totally blades it, shatters that piece of glass above the, uh, above the, above the, the, the French doors, right? Now, do you remember when you were a child, and some of you are still children, so you're experts at this right now, when you do something like that and you know you're in trouble, what's your natural reaction? What do you do? You run, right? I find myself running, right? And I'm 40-something years old, and it dawns on me after a little while, where am I going? <laughs> what, what, and Nate's running too, right? I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble here, right? We both needed grace, right? So Cindy came home and I said, Nate broke the window. <laughs> and then Nate said, well, here, here was the game that dad and I were playing. And we both needed grace. God has initiated his peace plan for us, not so that we can have just peace with him, but so that we can have peace with one another that we can actually exhibit the unity of the, of the Spirit of God, of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in our relationships with each other. But God did this because he knew that we all needed a Savior. And we now both, Gentile and Jew, whatever, whatever delineation you want to make, everyone has equal access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. We both have access now in one Spirit through the Father. Right? So remember then, remember now. Why? Because we live in a new reality. We don't, if we're disciples of Jesus, we don't live in the old reality. We live in a new reality. And it begins to unwrap that in verse 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God's. We are identical citizens. We all have the same access to the Father. We have the same citizenship. But beyond that, we are family members in God's family. If you're a woman here today, you are a princess. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're a man here this morning, you are a prince. You are a son of God. This is the new reality in which we live. And God has given us this relationship. He's given us this unity with him and with one another in order to serve a very holy purpose. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
This home, this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If you are at all familiar with the Old Testament, if you've studied it on any level, those two words should jump off the page at you. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that we are a living temple. He's not talking about Green Tree Community Church. He wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about a living organism that is the body of Christ. And the temple of God is where God meets with his people. It's a place where everybody can meet him on equal footing, all needing grace and all offered his unconditional grace without any exception. And so Paul reminds us that our purpose in these relationships with God and these relationships with one another are so that we can be an example for the rest of the world. So people know where to go and fellowship with God, not because they see the great songs we sing on Sunday morning, not because they see a nice looking building and think, oh, that might be a fun place to go on Sunday, but because they see the unity of the Spirit of God in our relationships with one another and with those around us. Therein lies the difference. We are God's temple. We are the place where God abides so that people can know him. Think about what Isaiah said in the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus actually quotes this when he cleans out the literal temple in Jerusalem during his earthly ministry. God says this, my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Not some peoples, not Israel, but, no, but for all people. God is extending his invitation to everyone. Paul builds on that and says it this way in Colossians. Here, where? In the temple of God. That means in your life and in mine, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The new reality in which we live is that we are God's temple put on display for the world to see and to meet and to understand what God's love is all about. So the application this morning is pretty straightforward, right? In him, you are all being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. We are being built. We are passive recipients. Our job is to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God says, I want there to be a unity at Green Tree that stuns the people of Kirkwood, we say, amen, yes, Lord, use me to that end. When God says, I want my temple to be a place of humility and a place where everyone is welcome and everyone is loved equally, we, we say, yes, Lord, and use us to that end. Because we remember where we were and we know where we are now is only by the grace of God. The question is not, does God intend us to be unified in Christ? That question has been put to bed with an amen and an absolutely no question about it. The question is, will we actively and faithfully follow him in that area of our lives? Uh, there was a group of folks that took some pictures on the very first Sunday we moved into Green Tree back in October of 2015. And I'm just going to show you a couple of them this morning because uh, I keep them on my, uh, on my desktop uh, on my computer so I can look at them occasionally because it reminds me of, of the goal. Uh, and, and I'm not just talking about black and white. Please don't hear me narrow it just to that. But clearly that is part of uh, the, the question of our day is how will we get along as, as different races within the body of Christ. But I love this picture because a couple things. Obviously it shows that, but it's, it's, it's two children holding hands. Uh, maybe holding hands at a point where they're, they haven't yet learned 
how to dislike each other, you know, for all the wrong reasons. Perhaps they're, they're in a place where they could learn that the gospel applies to those kind of relationships and they just do life together because that's who they are in Christ. The second picture is, is like the first, except I'll admit in all honesty, and the, some of you know me, the, the little girl in the forefront with the black and yellow, that's one of my granddaughters. So I like that one because it's one of, one of my kids, but they're just doing life together. Nothing special about that picture. They're not jumping up and down. They're not, they're, not, they're not marching anywhere. They're not shouting anything. They're just in Sunday school together. And it looks like that's what they ought to be doing. It looks very natural, but it's supernatural in that that's what God desires to create within our lives. So are they just pictures that I look at on my laptop or are they the reality of Green Tree Community Church? And that is where God is driving us. He is driving us to love our neighborhood well to love our community well, to love one another well in Christ so that we can point others to the true grace and the true love and the true unity that can be found in Christ Jesus. William Wilberforce said this. William Wilberforce was, was a man that almost single-handedly uh, eradicated the slave trade in Great Britain, uh, the late 1700s, early 1800s. And he said this, you may choose to look the other way but you can never say again that you did not know. Uh, I like that, uh, not, not to be confrontational this morning, but just to remind us, friends, we know the truth. Not because we're special, not because we're smarter than everybody else, but, but we dig into the word of God every Sunday. And, and every Sunday, God, I mean, I know it kind of bumps along sometimes when I'm the guy talking, but God shares his truth with us all the time. And what he asks us to do is to not look away but to absorb it and to allow it to correct us, allow it to encourage us, allow it to impassion us so that we would say in our generation, in our day and age, in our moment, we are committed to the weightier matters of the law, to justice, to mercy, to faithfulness. And we pray that we would be used by God to bring true unity to our community in the person and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't use any distinctions when you went to the cross. Because if you said, I'm going to save the smart people, I wouldn't be in that list. If you said, I'm going to save the powerful people, there'd be a lot of people in this room that get left off. If you said, well, I'm going to save poor, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to save those who have means, there'd be others that were left behind. You call all of humanity to repent and believe. The picture that you give us is a picture of unity of the Godhead, of the Trinity. And you call us to not make worldly distinctions between one another that cause disunity and cause harm and bring hurt to people emotionally and spiritually. But you call us to love openly and freely as we have been loved, to serve as we have been served. So, Lord, we pray for that spirit at Green Tree. We thank you for the, the growth you've given us. Uh, we, we continue to be amazed at that. But, Lord, I'm sure the growth will stop if we uh, look the other way <laughs> and we don't continue to follow you. So, Lord, we pray for uh, humility in your spirit and a passion for the things that you call us to. That our witness, our love of one another, our unity together, not that we're the same, we're very different in a lot of ways, but that that unity is supernatural. And you use that to draw other people into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.